So I found this really cool puzzle online. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a huge puzzle guy. You can see my, you can see my Rubik's cubes right there. I love Legos, just building stuff and puzzles is super, super fun. I found this puzzle recently. It's probably one of my favorite puzzles. I'll get it, I'll get it nice and close here. What it, what it does is you have to fill in these pieces for the specific month and day for every day. So it's a new puzzle essentially every single day. And then uh, some days I get it, some days I don't. But it's a lot of fun and I super enjoy putting it together each day, especially if I'm waiting on anything for work stuff. I have a few minutes, I kind of fiddle with it. And today I was able to pull it off. Today's March 17th. I think this video is coming out tomorrow. And uh, if you like this puzzle and you're interested, there's a link down below um, to Amazon to get it. I think it's only like 15 bucks and purchasing it helps out the channel. So if it's something you're interested in, would help us out. So I greatly appreciate it. Let's get into the show. So today I wanted to talk about three topics that are almost completely unrelated to each other. But the first and most important topic, I mean, they're all finance related. So they're not like totally unrelated, but they, they don't have anything to do with each other specifically. The first one is what's happening in the banks currently. So this has been a topic that's scaring a lot of people. People are wondering what they should do with their money. I have an answer for you if you stick around, but I want to kind of explain a little bit of what's going on. So I want to start from like the very beginning in case people don't understand how the banking system works. When you put your money into a bank, that money doesn't actually sit there. Banks are only required to hold on to a certain percentage of the cash that's placed into the bank. So in and that that percentage changes depending on what's occurring. So during COVID, that percentage went down to zero. Banks weren't required to hold on to any money. They were allowed to just lend it out, invest it however they wanted for the most part in hopes that they can get some kind of return because we were hoping the economy would keep chugging along even though we had closed everything down. But I think right now it's at 10% they have to retain, which means they can lend out or invest 90%. And banks will look solvent until all of a sudden they don't look solvent anymore. And what I mean by that is like, imagine if you bought a house for a million dollars and you had a loan for a million dollars, you would be at zero. You wouldn't have any kind of negative net worth. But then imagine that house started to drop in value. The second it starts dropping in value and your loan is now higher than your house, you're now in debt. So essentially that's what happens to the banks. So SVB specifically, what they did in order to chase a little bit of a higher return, just, um, I don't know if it was a year ago or so, or maybe a little bit longer, they bought a really long treasury bond. A, I think it was a 10-year bond. And what, it, what, that, what a 10-year bond does is you're, you're basically giving a loan to the government. The government will pay you the interest on that bond at the end of the time period. So a 10-year bond is 10 years. They loan money to the government, expecting a return in 10 years, and they were hoping that nothing would occur in the meantime to cause them to have any issues. The problem is the longer a bond is, if the rates change, so because interest rates are going up, the government is now issuing bonds. Basically, they're saying we will take out loans from whoever wants to give us a loan at a much, much higher rate. So now SVB can't actually sell this bond off to people because if you were someone who was buying a bond, would you rather have a 10-year bond that only has like a year's or like one year's worth of usage on it? So you have to wait nine years for like a 1.5% return or what's the current bond rates? The current bond rate is 3.56% for a 10-year bond. So bonds got better. So would you rather have a bond that can produce one and a half percent after 10 years or a bond that produces three and a half percent after 10 or 
1.5% after 9 years or 3.5% after 10. So the demand for that bond has dropped. So SVB can't sell the bond. So usually it, you could sell a bond and maybe take a little bit of a loss on it. And I'm sure they had like a 1.5% bond. They're probably thinking like, look, we really only need to be making about 1%. So it's not that big of a deal. If the bond declines in value, we can sell it off for you know above 1%, but probably below 1.5. We'll make our money and our customers will be fine. Except interest rates went up and nobody wants their bond and nobody wants it for like anything. So they're sitting on top of these bonds and they, and they could wait for 10 years for these bonds to finally mature and collect their 1.5%. The problem is customers got wind of this happening and they started showing up to the banks and taking their money, uh, and taking their money out. And when people start taking their money out and the bank doesn't actually have cash and they don't have a means of getting cash, what do they do? They could take out loans but now you're taking out loans at current interest rates, which are extremely high, and you don't have any assets building you know, at a higher rate than those loans, they essentially pigeonholed themselves where if interest rates went up, they were gonna collapse. And immediately following SVB, Signature Bank collapsed. Now we're looking at Credit Suisse, which is a major European bank collapsing, and we're looking at a bunch of other banks collapsing. And I don't know all the specific details around all these banks. I know what happened with SVB, but it's, it's looking like they didn't expect interest rates to go up this high and stay up this high for as long as they did. And they were kind of hoping that stuff would just kind of work itself out as time went on. Like they were playing the short game, not really thinking about what could happen in the future. And if you remember, we talk about personally, like if we're talking real estate or anything, that you have to expect like another 2008 to occur. And if a 2008 occurred, what would you look like? How would your situation be? And what happens if a 2008 occurred at the same time you're unemployed? Are you capable of weathering that storm? And if you're not, then you have to kind of think about how to fix that problem in order to make sure that you're okay in any kind of those in any of those situations so that your investments will continue to grow and you're not going to be hurt during any kind of storm like right now where you know could possibly be seeing some issues occur right and these banks didn't do any of that so here on the wealthy idiot show we're telling you how to do stuff to be smart and you know weather storms banks professional financers didn't do any of that Another interesting note, and this is kind of, uh, you know, both irrelevant and relevant, I guess, is uh, the one of the executives at SVB was also an executive on Lehman, at Lehman Brothers. I think he was the CFO at Lehman Brothers. And if you don't know, that's one of the major financial institutions that collapsed during the 2008 crash. So we take someone who failed in 2008 and we put them in another bank who's now failing in 2023. And this process just keeps going. Like, these finance people, politicians, they never fail downwards. They always fail upwards. Like, how about you take care of more people's money? What could possibly go wrong? So in light of all that, what is it that we have to do? So I told you I would give you some suggestions. One of the first things we have to figure out in this problem generally is where to put our money. And I personally use a credit union. This is not financial advice. You can do with this what you will. But one of the reasons I use a credit union, I'm going to scroll down, is this uh, paragraph right here. Banks and credit unions offer a number of financial products, including uh, savings accounts and certificates of deposits. The main difference between the two is that banks are typically for-profit institutions, while credit unions are not for profit and distribute their profits among its members. Credit unions tend to serve a specific region or a specific group of people. So if you sit down and look at the pros and cons, oftentimes you'll find that like 
it shows here. Sometimes credit unions get above average rates. Um, credit unions tend to not have as many branches. They tend to be more online only. Um, they, they do solve that. So in my case, I can go to any ATM and my credit union will reimburse me, um, which is nice. Um, some credit unions have good technologies, but the smaller ones may not have good technology. So looking at that stuff is kind of details. The thing that I'm really interested in is this part where the, the credit union is a not-for-profit institution. It doesn't mean that they're never going to fail or they won't have issues. Banks fail. Credit unions fail. Credit unions tend to dissolve and they either get bought up by some larger institution or they liquidate. They give the money to the customers. The customers then take their money to another bank or credit union afterwards. That's why you don't really hear about credit unions failing like banks fail. And because banks are for profit, they have stock, they have stock they put in the stock market and that goes up and down as they're doing well, they're not doing well. And banks are in a position where it's much more beneficial to them to gamble and win than it is to play it safe. And they know that the government is probably going to help them. So they kind of shoot from the hip in hopes that everything will work out. And credit unions don't tend to do that quite as much. I'm not saying that you have to go with credit union, um, but I just wanted to highlight there, you do have a not-for-profit option to take your banking stuff to. The next thing I want to point out in this is that they are insured up to $250,000, but we shouldn't be holding $250,000 or more in a particular institution, right? We should be investing our money, get the money out of institutions completely, buy stocks, buy um you know, index funds, real estate, whatever. And the amount of money that we actually hold in an institution should be what we need to pay our bills, uh, basic paycheck stuff, maybe an emergency fund. And that's about it. And, you know, yeah, that kind of puts us in a position where market volatility is a thing, but we're not going to be in a position where if our bank closes and takes, you know, a couple thousand dollars from us because they can't reimburse us and we have to wait for the insurance to show up and pay us out. We're not going to be in any kind of trouble. We know that we have stuff spread out. Also, it's a good idea to have multiple banks or institutions set up. So just in case your bank starts having an issue, you can move your direct deposit over to a different institution. We have that in my family as well. That's another way to prevent any kind of major issues. Um, and lastly, just do some research into the institution that you're putting your money into. Make sure that it's an institution that you you know can back, that you think is actually good. Um, just a little bit look into SVB. We discovered that, um, like I was saying before, one of the Lehman Brothers executives is on the executive board of SVB, right? So, so a little bit of research can kind of tell us, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest in institution for holding on to our cash and we could get out of it. So with all that combined, you should be putting yourself in a position where regardless of what happens in the economy, in the coming recession, maybe if that exists or if banks are closing, you should be fine. So do what you will with this information. It's financial education only. It's not advice, but you should be good um, as long as you protect yourself. The second topic I want to reiterate is that I know that stuff is scary. So I guess this kind of relates a little bit to the previous topic because we're talking about bank runs and finances falling apart and giant banks falling apart. But this is more about you and me individually and less about the system. I know that the system is scary. I understand that putting your money into something and watching it drop is a scary thing. It happens like, you know, just because we've been doing this for a while doesn't mean we're immune to drop. And it doesn't mean that we're immune to the emotional stress that that causes watching your finances kind of shrink as the economy doesn't do well. And we know that on the news, 
um, people are talking about even a worse recession coming. And we've hinted at that here too, that it just doesn't look like we're in a position to not have something bad occur. Everything seems to be pointing towards a kind of a reset where we inflated the economy full of cash and not enough value. And now that there's a lot of cash and the value hasn't really increased to compensate for that, we're hitting a point where inflation is out of control. The Fed keeps raising rates to try and reduce the amount of available cash. And all of us, you know, on the regular level are the ones who are going to be impacted. We're impacted now because prices are increasing and we're going to be impacted later when the actual recession that the Fed is hoping for shows up and we take a big employment hit and people get laid off. And some, some of that has already started to occur. I get that this is all very, very scary. And I want to encourage people who are watching this to know that now is the best time to invest. Now, tomorrow, if a recession occurs, even more. The way that we kind of psych ourselves up about this is that we convince ourselves that everything in the market is on sale. And if it goes on sale even further tomorrow, we'll buy even more. And if it goes on sale again, we'll buy even more. And I wanted to use the example of my Bitcoin account to kind of illustrate why this is so important. I had bought Bitcoin, um, not at the peak, but while it was kind of going up. I hadn't bought Bitcoin like way back when it first started, but I bought Bitcoin more recently thinking like I want to get into like the major crypto stuff, not the minor, you know, influencer rug pull scams, but like I want to have a little bit of crypto. And so I bought something when it was extremely expensive. Well, it crashed significantly. If you were watching the whole FTX thing, we did some videos on that and all that stuff came tumbling down. And so what I did was buy some more and then it kind of went down a little bit more and I bought some more and then it kind of hovered there and I bought some more. And then I kept buying some more until eventually now, as it's starting to go back up, I have now hit my average and I'm making money on Bitcoin again, right? Because I bought originally when price was up here and when the prices dropped pretty significantly low, um, I just kept buying. And so my average purchase price kept dropping, dropping, dropping. And then now that the, the, the value of Bitcoin has increased just a little bit, I'm now in the positive. I did the same thing for my index funds. So my index funds took a tremendous hit when the economy kind of went down a little bit there in 2022. And I kept buying all through that. And now I'm back to being positive on my index funds. And I'll continue to be positive as the uh, market keeps going. And if it dips some more, I'll continue to buy some more. So this is called dollar cost averaging, where you pull down the, the average value of your, uh, of your investments in order to you know, take advantage of when the prices do start to come back up. And this prevents us from really losing out on the bear market. And we're able to buy stuff that's going to see tremendous growth. And we'll see tremendous growth on the tail end of this recession. It will come. I know it's taking way too long, but it'll eventually come. And we've been encouraging on this channel, encouraging people to do just a couple of things as you know this recession either continues to extend the way it has been or gets worse. And that is if you can maintain employment to the best of your abilities, be the best employee you can be. I understand that there's these videos that are like, look, you're not paying me to do double work. I'm not doing double work. And I get that. And in a good economy, you'd be in a position to tell your employer like, look, you're giving me too much for what I'm being paid for. I'm going to go somewhere else. But right now is not the time to be doing that. Right now is the time to stay employed because a lot of people are going to get laid off and you want to make sure that you're employed through this recession. That's going to make sure you have the cash to continue buying investments, which is the second thing you need to do. And it's also going to accelerate your career on the tail end of the when the economy bounces back. And you want to be in that position. So I encourage you to do those things to be successful. And that's what we're doing here. 
I'll let you know. Like, we're not doing anything differently here, both me and my partner. The third and final thing, and probably the worst thing of this whole entire group is, look, if you're a real estate agent and you have beef with however the process is going, don't say anything stupid to the other agent, right? Like, you may think a bunch of things. You may be annoyed or offended by a particular offer that you got. You might be frustrated with how stuff is going. You might not want to tell your client what's going on. But at the end of the day, you are just like a, a representative of two people who are attempting to make a deal happen. And it's okay if the other person gives you something that's offensive to tell your client like, look, I don't think this is a good enough deal. Do you want to ask for more? And be polite and respond back and say, hey, look, we're looking for a higher offer. That's really all you got to do. You don't got to respond with a tremendously long email about how good you are and how you would never do anything this offensive and how the buyer agent should have told their client that, um, this was an offensive offer and should have cut that off before it even began because now everybody's offended and yada, yada, like on and on. It doesn't matter. Either the deal is good or it's not. Just move on. I've heard now several times from people that I've talked to, and yeah, this is coming from personal experiences, but one of them was just that they were nervous as a real estate agent to provide an offer that could seem offensive to the other person. As, as a buyer, I don't care about that. Nobody cares about that. And as a seller, I don't care about that. No point has someone offered me something and I've been like, you know, oh, I'm so incredibly offended that this random person gave me under market value offer on my property. Either they gave it to me and I got a bunch of other good offers and we responded to that person like, thanks, we got some better offers. We're going to go with those. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's like two seconds. That's it. Or you know, you don't get a better offer. And now that option is there because you're like, shoot, maybe my house isn't valued quite as high as I thought it was. Maybe I should entertain that offer. Maybe they're willing to come up a little bit. And we just ask them like, Hey, you willing to bring this up? Because, uh, I think we can meet in the middle somewhere and that's it. Being polite will go a long way in these conversations and being offended is going to destroy opportunities on all sides. So if you're a real estate agent, a buyer, a seller, breathe, understand that this is being professional everyone needs to be professional on all sides and that any type of information you get, whether it's a low offer, high offer, offensive offer, whatever is valuable information that your client can use to make decisions. And that's it. So thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it guys. If you have any information that I don't have or any info or any you know, helpful data about what we can do about these bank collapses, I'd be interested to hear it in the comments below. If you have any comments about the rest of the stuff or like you're an agent and you have some comments about what I just said, I'd love to hear it because maybe I don't have the same perspective as a uh, someone who's on the buyer and seller side. I'm not in the middle. I don't know everything, but so I'd be interested to know. And before you take off, make sure you help wealthyidiots.com and check out our news, tools, and tips and make sure you buy this cool puzzle. It helps us out and I think you're going to love it. If you're a puzzle person, I can't see you not loving it. And smash that like button for the YouTube algorithm. I'll see you guys next time.